Hey guys, this is Jacqueline, founder of the Megapreneur Podcast. This is a podcast that features women of color who are entrepreneurs and creatives, and we focus on transformation from that place of feeling stuck to taking action on your dreams. If this is your first time here, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And if you've been listening for a while, we would really appreciate if you left us a five-star review if you've been enjoying the podcast. And of course, if you leave us a comment, that would be greatly appreciated as all this helps to uh, put the podcast up on the rankings so that other women that are looking to hear from amazing women of color who are creatives and entrepreneurs can hear about the podcast and we can get more of these amazing women that come on as guests to more women out there just like you. Today's guest is Tanya Gonzalez Melendez, uh, aka Tarot Life Coach, a born psychic medium. From humble beginnings reading tarot cards in a suburban Chicago cafe to international fame, voted number three psychic in the world during the International Psychic Challenge in Ukraine in 2012. She is actually currently working on an upcoming book, The Sensuous Bruja, a practical and useful playbook to add sexy to your magic. Today, we talk about single mommyhood, her journey to librarian, excuse me, her journey from librarian to world traveler, to coming into her purpose and gifts. And of course, most important is how she started to heal her mind. And of course, much, much more. Wow, beloved. Uh, that is such a great question. When I began to question everything is when, and, and this is a great story. This is actually a really good story that I'll share with you. Um, I was living in Marbella, Spain at the time, and here I was thinking this was it. I was on the Mediterranean. I had been successful as a psychic medium. I had just created a new opportunity for myself where I was the consultant for a telephone psychic line. And so I had created this new business for myself. I had a place to stay. And anyway, so I remember being at this exclusive club one night. I had been going to this club for a while and having a great time, enjoying the nightlife of Marbella. And I remember sitting in the hookah lounge and I was by myself and it was just this rare moment of being in this huge club and this music and all I could see was the lights and the people dancing. And like that moment of clarity came, like all the champagne I drank was gone and I was like, I'm in this big room by myself and it was black all around me and I just saw all these people dancing and, and it looked like having a good time. But mm -hmm. I told myself, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? I was already over 40. I had had my, you know, little, my daughter had gone off to college. She was now working. Um, she had graduated and everything. And I, I thought, you know, my motherhood was behind me. I thought, finally, I'm finding myself. But when I sat there that night, I said, what am I doing here? It was full of young people. By that time, I was already 40-something and um, I just kept thinking, this is not what I, I said I wanted to do. I don't want this life. This is not the life that I want. And so um, I made a decision. 
that evening that I was not going to do that anymore. And I told myself I needed to, to leave Spain because I had been living this, what I thought was this beautiful life and Marbella, one of the most beautiful places in the world to live. It's, you know, full of, it, it was just a beautiful place, but I was not happy. I was drinking too much. I was not serving in the way that I wanted to. I was waking up, obviously, with hangovers, and I said, you know what, I have to stop this. And so I made a decision, and I got myself back to the United States by the end of that month, I, and the clothes that I had worn that night, I, t- I threw them in the garbage. I said, this is no longer who I am. I, I mean, the shoes, the everything. I said, this is done. I am done. I am not this. I'm not this club chick anymore. And I said, I'm a spiritual teacher, and I'm taking this seriously. And so I got back to the States, and a month later, August 22nd of 2015 was the last time I had a drop, a drop of alcohol from that experience. Because uh, I just said, I knew that I was hurting my, and I saw these people. And then right after that, a friend of ours, that was always at the club, died of a drug overdose. And I said, yeah, this is not for me anymore. And I just made that decision to change my life. And since then, I, again, have never had another drop of alcohol. That was four years ago, this August. And my life has completely changed. I'm now a married woman. My adult daughter now lives with me and my young artist husband here in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. And it's so grateful to have a conversation like that because it, it seems like that, it, was that just really four years ago? Because when you say it, it's really just a time of high school or college, right? Four mm-hmm. years. And we learned so much. And so, yeah, I, had, I got my PhD now. <laughs> I got my PhD now in, in life, I guess. So that was my moment of transition. And so... What do you feel brought you to that point of, of going to Spain? And, and it sounds like you were owning what, what your gift was, right? But you yeah. weren't in the life that you really wanted for yourself. Was it something that made you think that this is the life for you now? Or were you still trying to figure things out and just trying to enjoy yourself? Or do you think it was even like, well, my daughter's gone, this is what I should be doing. Like, what do you think got you to that point to even, like, you're, you're doing, you know, what you're, you're meant to do, I guess, your gift, but at the same mm-hmm. time, your life is not kind of aligned with, with your gift, in a sense. Oh, yeah, great, great question. Um, yeah, it, again, that defining moment, because I, I, had, I had always been a woman. I grew up going to quinceañeras and parties at the Puerto Rican Society, I grew up going and dancing, and I, I just loved dancing. For me, it was always just my way. And then, of course, as you got older, because I used to go roller skating too, you know, as a teen, and then we got older, then alcohol became involved. And so it just became a way of my life. But once my daughter was in high school, I knew that I wanted to be a, a, a spiritual teacher. I, I, got, I also I have a license as a spiritual counselor. I also am a certified yoga teacher. So I did all of that while she was in high school because I knew once she was in college that I needed to have a whole new everything for myself, you know. And so I said, yeah, I'm making it so I can take care of myself and and live the life I wanted. And so I would joke with her, yeah, we put up a map. And I said, I'm going to travel the world teaching yoga. I'm going to be a spiritual teacher. 
And she was like, yeah, mom, okay, but we need to eat right now. You know what I'm saying? And so <laughs> it, it was not easy because I was a school librarian. And I knew, I knew I could no longer work for the school system because they were failing the children. And I said, you know what, I'm not contributing to their good if I continue to feed them this garbage. And again, another transformational time for me. I said, I really worked hard to be a teacher because I really want to make a difference in kids' lives. And I still do work with children, even here in Mexico. And so it is one of, the, one of my biggest things is supporting children. And, and so it really um, it hurt me to leave that job, but I knew if I stayed, it would hurt me more. It would hurt me more. And so... I knew that my spiritual path had to be my full life. And that real turning point came, you know, really when I realized that my daughter was going to go off to college and have this great, big, beautiful life. And I was telling her, yeah, go to Mexico and go travel. I told her, spend a semester abroad and do all these things. And then I said, wait a minute, I'm telling her to do the things that I want to do. So her senior year of high school, I got my passport and I said, all those places I said, I said, I'm going. You know, and by hell or by high water, I, I pieced it together and I, I, I moved to, the first time I moved to Spain, I lived in Madrid and I had volunteered to help teach English and I fell in love with Madrid. And then, you know, a friend of mine said I could stay with him and then I was staying with him and then I said, okay, I got to come back to the U.S. and all these different things, you know, but I got out I, and then I was living in Key West because I said, I can't go back to Chicago after living in Spain. You know, I've seen the world, right? And so I was like, I want to go to the beach. And so I made my way to the beach. And how I did that is I was a busboy, a busboy. I had a master's degree, had been a librarian. They interviewed me twice. They're like, you want to be a busboy? I said, if you won't let me be a waitress, let me be a busboy. So I became a waitress, or a busboy there. I was a hostess there, and I went to another restaurant to be a waitress. And I also had my radio show then. So I had a radio show before it was a podcast, and I still had clients. So I had all those jobs, and I could still say, thank you for letting me do this. I know I'm tired. Even my daughter, when she came and saw me one time, she said, Mom, what are you doing? You have a master's degree. Go, go work at the library. I said, no. I'm living my, my personal treasure. Alchemist is one of my favorite books. And so I stuck with it. And within five months of living there, I had been doing videos on YouTube. And again, YouTube wasn't that big then. You know, this was like, this was back in 2011. I think my first video was in 2011, 2010. And I got an email from a TV show. Now, I thought this was a joke. You know, back then, spam was huge, right? We were getting spam. We didn't have our folders and all this. And so I got this email, and they said, oh, we want to invite you on this psychic show. And I was like, yeah, right. So, but they kept emailing me. And so one of my friends at the restaurant was a Russian woman, and I said, Natalia, can you tell me what this says? And she started screaming, and she says, Tanya, they want to invite you to the International Psychic Challenge. And I said, okay, I said, okay, if they're serious, I wrote my number down and said, call me in five minutes in between my shift, right? I was waitressing at this time, and they called. 
and I had Natalia on the phone with me, and me and her talked to them, and they, she said, you know, they said they want to send you to be on this TV show. And she's like, Tanya, this is the most popular show. My family watches this show. All my friends in Ukraine watch this show. And I said, okay. And they said, you'll come? And they, I said, yeah, send me a ticket. I'm in Key West. How are you going to get me from Key West to Kiev, Ukraine? And they did. They did. And I lived there for eight, nine months, and I was voted number three psychic in the world. And so is that how you ended up in Spain? And how and I ended up in like Spain. Doubt. Yeah, so just <laughs> and then traveling doubt, around. Like, and where did the, the doubt, like, where you got to that point where you're like, yeah, this isn't my life, even though you had this wonderful opportunity, and now it seems like you're living off that, but now you're in Spain, and now you're doubting everything. Yeah, the alcohol. Alcoholism, you know, not looking at myself, thinking I was healing by reading the books, thinking I was healing by talking about spirituality all the time. I wasn't living it. I was talking about it. And it wasn't until I decided that moment in that hookah bar that I started, I decided to start living it because I knew being a club girl was not going to get me on the Oprah show. You know what I mean? I knew it wasn't, I wasn't going to get there by that, you know? So I said, this is what I signed up for. I took all these classes and did all this. And so it was that defining moment. It was a decision that I made to change my life. It really was that decision. And yeah. And ever since then, I, yeah, it's what do you, changed my life. What do you feel was, was stopping you? What do you, and why do you feel that, that you were maybe suppressing or, or whatever it was with alcohol? Like what? Oh, fear, fear. Mm-hmm. Fear comes in so many different forms and shapes and sizes, and that's mm-hmm. the thing. We think fear, oh, I'm not afraid. Yes, you are. We're all mm-hmm. afraid of something, you know, and that fear, we feed it, you know. Um, so I shared with you, that I had scratched my eye yesterday. Mm-hmm. And when I looked at it, I said, okay, so this is spirit giving me an opportunity to see things differently. So I had to close one eye. And so I had to really rely on seeing only through one side. And mm-hmm. I said, on that side, I just have to remember that I am safe, that I can heal, that I, that I know the truth. And so I said, you know what? I know this is fear trying to stop me because I need to write this book. I know fear this is trying to stop me because I need to plan this trip. I know this is fear trying to stop me. And I said, you are not stopping me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to my writing class. I might not be able to read right now, but I'm going to listen to my writing class. I might not be able to, you know, read my, my book today, but I can listen to something that's inspiring me. I, and so I stopped looking through, stopped trying to make myself look through that eye. And I stopped giving attention to it mm. because what we fear, whatever we put our attention on grows. And so mm. when I stopped focusing on what I was afraid of, when I shifted my lens from lack of what I didn't have, what I didn't want to what I did, and that was really just love. What I really wanted was love around me, love in my relationships, love in my work, love in my pocketbook, you know, mm-hmm. when I started looking through that lens, the fear left. And so it didn't matter what kind of fear it looked like, whether it was alcohol or relationships or, or whatever it was, that it's still fear. 
and we don't give ourselves the chance to look at it. We want to just read another book and hope it goes away. But we have to look at it. And I had to do deep spiritual work. And that's when I first moved down here to Mexico. I spent a year just by myself, just really secluded, like the hermit card in a tarot deck. And I said, I, teach me love. I, I know fear. I know pain. I know struggle. I know suffering. And I said, if I can learn how to love myself all here by myself, then I know that anything is possible. And I did. I really did. I stuck with myself. And I remember I would cry on Saturday nights and I'd cry on Friday nights wishing I had somewhere to go and somebody to be here with and watching my movies with. But I said, I need to look at this. What is this? What do I feel lonely for? You know, why am I, what am I looking for? And again, it was fear. And so... I gave myself that time, and within that year being up, one of my friends then suddenly turned into my beloved, and Mm. then my beloved turned into my husband. Mm. So two things come up. One thing was, what was your fear when it came to love? And then Mm. your daughter comes up for me because I Mm. know for us we had – our daughter's so young, and for me, I didn't really know myself. So when she, when she left, I felt very lost, and I think I felt mm. lost because I didn't know myself, and I needed to rediscover, like, who I was and learn to be, like, on my own on my own and kind of start learning self-love as well. So if you can tell us what was your fear when it came to love, if you can share with us, and then how was your journey after your daughter left? Do you feel like maybe... Um, for me, I avoided that feeling mm. of when she left. So I did. I worked a lot. I just focused on other things until I started crashing down. And what did, how was that experience for you? Okay, so the fear of love. Well, that's all that it is. We all have that fear of love. And that fear of love comes from, of course, my childhood. I wasn't taught how to love. I didn't see examples of love. And gracefully and gratefully, I, after I had my daughter, I had um, already enrolled in college. And so I was into psychology classes and things like that. And so I knew I didn't want to raise a damaged daughter. I had felt like I was damaged, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I made it my promise to myself that I was given this gift to be a mother with this, with this beautiful little girl and that I was going to do it. And so I said, you know, I don't know how, but I'm going to do the best that I can. And then early in, in my mid-30s is when I really started going to church and, and a spiritual center, I should say, not church. I went to um, the Center for Spiritual Living in Chicago. And so having that spiritual base and having that spiritual foundation was what really gave me the opportunity to see that my daughter and I couldn't grow if we stayed together the whole time because she was my best friend, I was hers. And Mm -hmm. it's interesting now that we come back together as adult women and we're best friends now, you know, because we created that foundation. I created that foundation for us early on. And then I knew it was important that one of us leave. And so she decided to stay in in, in Chicago and go to DePaul. And that's Mm -hmm. when I got my wings. 
and when I, because I had told her to go away to college, and she said, no, no, I want to go to DePaul. And I said, okay, well, I'm taking my wings, because I knew I always wanted to travel. I wanted her to travel. We put this map on our wall, because we said we wanted to see the world. I said, just because I was a single mom on welfare doesn't mean that that's the only thing that I can be for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And so I... I was determined to see the world. I was determined to see the world. And I told her when she graduated, I said, I got my passport. She graduated in, in the, you know, end of May. I got my passport in April. And I said, okay, I'm, uh, let's get you set up. Let's get you, you know, in the groove. And, and I'm going to fly because I know I needed to really, with my spiritual foundation at that point, I had already, like I said, had my spiritual license, my spiritual counselor license. And I just, I just gave myself the gift of discovering myself in a whole new way because mm-hmm. it was needed and necessary. I wasn't afraid of, of that. I was afraid if I didn't because I knew mm-hmm. I, had, I had wanted to be a writer. And I said, okay, I'm going to put that in the back burner. I, have to, I really want to focus on being a good mother. And so now... I'm writing, and she's supporting me in doing that. At, you know, working together, we've, we've created a business together for ourselves, which was the dream that we had back when she was 15, 16, and we had the map up on the wall. And so, so we've come that? full circle. Yeah. So, sorry about that. So it's, just, it's funny because crazy? when you said it was uh, needed and necessary, it's all like, everyone's journey is just really different, right? So for me, mm-hmm. when my daughter was 15, she sat me down and she's like, I just want to let you know that I'm going to go away for college. I feel mm-hmm. that you, you and I are so too close and yeah. we can't grow if we're together. And I was like, how old are you? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because she pretty much like broke it down. She understood that we couldn't grow, you know, if we continue mm-hmm. to, to live together even after college. So she went away um, to college, and she was totally right. It seems like when we have, and she is, like, we're best friends. We get along so great. We enjoy each other's company so much. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that it was hard for her. You know, she's sharing that after the fact. It was very difficult for me, but she was right. I think one of us needed to be brave enough to leave the other. Yeah. You know, yeah, and making that sure. decision was the best for the both of us. Um, when one of mm-hmm. us isn't courageous enough or brave enough, the, uh, one of us was able to. So I was grateful um, for that. So now being in the space you're in, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to switch it up a little bit. Now you have um, done the work. You're where you want to be. Obviously, you're, you're always growing. But talk to me about, like, self-sabotage because I know that we're doing the work right we're owning where we want to Mm be Um, we're doing the healing but then this thing of self-sabotage like at least for me comes up whenever I guess I'm Mm -hmm. trying to grow or something different can you talk about like what self-sabotage like does or or how that creeps up and how we can work through that instead of like letting us letting it stop us or or not even realizing that it's maybe even here to help us and how that might show up so that we can work through that? Well, that's a really great question, and I wish I had a, a magic answer. But self-sabotage, mm-hmm. it, 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 again, it's, it stems from lack of self-love. And anytime we are hurting ourselves, we are, are not loving ourselves. 
and, and it's so important that we get in the practice of recognizing when we are not when we are not in alignment. So again, everything is an opportunity to heal. So even yesterday as I had an experience where I scratched my eye, putting on my mascara, I saw that as a learning opportunity because I had to close, like I said, one of my eyes. And I said, am I going to focus on the lack that my eye is bothering me or am I going to continue and move forward? Because, see, in truth, my fear, my self-sabotage was like, oh, now you can't write. Now you can't do this. You just need to lay in the bed. Oh, you're going to miss a day. Oh, you can't do this. You shouldn't. Fear does. Fear is a sneaky snake. Self-sabotage is best friends with the sneaky snake. And the sneaky snake is always out to get you. It's always out to get you. I shared this with my husband this morning. First place where we start to sabotage ourselves is usually around our relationships. We look out at others and we see where we lack, right? And then that lack will turn into we don't have enough money or darn, I wish I had more. And then that lack turns into, then it turns into about ourselves. Darn, you know what? I should have did this. I should have did that. So those are the levels of self-sabotage that we go through. It always starts with how we, we might see something, our perception of something out there in the world. Then we reflect it into ourselves. And when we reflect it into ourselves, it makes us feel bad. And then we reflect that even deeper in by looking at how much money we have, what we're wearing, something that, like that triggers it into our self-worth. And then from our self-worth, then we can really pull ourselves down into I shoulda, coulda, woulda. Mm-hmm. And those are, those are the ways that we sabotage ourselves. So... And, and that comes from that lack of love. But when you look with love, again, that lens changes. And it says, okay, so my eye got scratched. Okay, you want me to see things differently. Okay, I still have a book to write. I still have, you know, an uh, interview to have. I still have this. I'm not letting this, my focus on what I think is lack, to shift me from what my purpose is. My purpose is, as a writer, my purpose is to serve. My purpose is, you know, sharing all the things that I, I, I've given myself to share as a spiritual teacher, healer, and leader. But if I'm focusing on what I'm lacking, that my eye hurts, then guess what? My eye is going to keep hurting. I, I heard this story just recently about a teacher and a, a guru and his student. And the guru said, we're going to meditate. I'm going to show you how to meditate like a master. And the student was, oh, yes, thank you. I've been waiting, master. You're the best. Thank you. So they sat down. They got all comfortable. And the master said, now meditate. And they're there, and they're just in there, and they're experiencing their meditation. And the student feels and sees a cockroach on his hand. And so he says, master, guru. Guru, what do I do? What do I do? And the guru says, what are you meditating on? And so he realized that he was meditating on the cockroach. Mm. (laughs) And so it was bothering him because that's where he was giving his energy instead of focusing his energy within 
When you focus your energy within, nothing outside you can bother you, even a cockroach, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why spiritual foundation, spiritual practice is the foundation for anything. If there's self-sabotage, if there's self, you know, self-hate, there cannot be self-love. There cannot be prosperity. And so spiritual practice is the first thing, honoring our spiritual selves, honoring our spiritual guides. That has to be first before anything else. Then we create the foundation where self-sabotage can't come through that filter. Self-sabotage can't come through the filter of love. How would you set up that foundation for someone that's just starting out and they know that praying? Pray, yeah, pray. Pray. Just pray. Say, I don't know what I'm doing, but I know some guidance. I need some guidance. I'll give you a perfect example. Um, I love sharing stories because stories are so powerful. So my whole life I've wanted to go to Egypt. And finally in the last year I said, now it's my time. You know, I'm about to turn my 48th year. And I said, now, now I feel it. Now I know it's my time to go. And so I just put it out there to the universe. And I said, you know, universe, when I go, I'd like to know somebody. I don't want to just go and fly with us and, you know, I want to know somebody there. You know, how cool would it be if I could take a belly dancing class or a class there or or if I could teach a class? I mean, oh, my God, what if I could teach something in Egypt? Wouldn't that be amazing, universe? So this is just how I speak in, in, in my prayer. And I say, okay, universe, so thank you. I'm putting it on the shelf. And so for me, the shelf is where I'm just giving it to spirit. I'm not thinking about it anymore. You know, um, I'm just, I'm, I'm done. I'm putting it on the shelf. I did the same thing for my laptop during the last Mercury retrograde. I had to put it on the shelf. I'm like, okay, it looks like it passed out. It's done. So I'm putting it on the shelf. And I, I just, I know the perfect right one will come when it's ready. And so... Within a matter of weeks, my love, within a matter of weeks, someone reached out to me. I saw you on Instagram, sister, and I just love you so much. And I heard that you said you wanted to come to Egypt. Would you be willing to come here and teach a class or co-host this retreat with me? See, I didn't have to go looking for it. It came to me. And when you know when you're doing something that is meant for you, it comes for you. One of my favorite things I share with my clients is what is for you will find you. You don't have to go looking for it. It will come. It will always come. But to get there, you have to have the foundation of I am spirit. Spirit is with me. Nothing out there is against me. So for the last um, seven, eight years, I've been a student and a teacher of A Course in Miracles, um, which has really been really powerful for healing my mind. For me, it's like intuitive intelligence, and because of my love of it, I've extended that. Now my daughter has her own practice. My husband is just beginning his own practice of A Course in Miracles. And, again, it's not because I said you need to read it. They hear me talking about it. They, they see me, how I demonstrate it in my life, how I speak to you about it and to anybody. And so we need, we need something. It's not a church. It's not a religion. What it's taught me is how to heal my mind from the thoughts that hurt me and, and replace those thoughts with loving, healing thoughts instead and to recognize that no person is out to get me, that it is my mind that makes me think that. 
And so that's why I say having a spiritual foundation is important. This isn't about mantras and reading something. This is about being something. I'm just taking all that in. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. So is the, I've heard of The Course of Miracles. I know that it's a book. Is it something that you read every day? Like what would someone, I guess, who's struggling with their own doubts mm-hmm. and fears and things like that, how would they start? Again, so with prayer, you know, when I first went to the Spiritual Center in Chicago, that was the first thing we did was pray. And that prayer was the most powerful thing for me. Um, and again, it's just saying, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing, but you do. Can you guide me? Because each of us have an inner teacher. And so A Course in Miracles is like having a a speed dial to that inner teacher. A Course in Miracles lets you hear it. But again, it's sometimes our, our wording, our conditioning, our experience trips us up on the words. And I used to be the same. I carried the book around for a long time, but I didn't like it said God and Jesus Christ. And it referred to God as, as a him. And so I just said, I'm changing the words. It's a her. It's not God. It's spirit, you know. And I just said, I'm going to read it. I'm, I want to change my life. I cannot do this anymore by myself. It has not worked. I've read as many books. I was a lifelong Rosa Christian. Um, I've been, you know, the Theosophical Society, I, you know, I, I debated for years whether I should go to school for theology or become a reverend because I thought I need more, 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 more information. I need to understand this spiritual thing. And I, I did all those classes, but yet when I read A Course in Miracles after the fourth or fifth time, I finally started to understand what it was telling me. I started taking classes and hearing what teachers were saying, and I said, oh, that's what that is. I kept reading. I made it a part of my day. I got up at 6 in the morning so I could make it a part of my day. Then I started getting up at 5 so I could make it a part of my day. Because I said, I know that this is healing my mind. In some way it's getting in there because I'm thinking different. I'm acting different. I'm seeing different. And so I kept at it. And now eight years in, it's a part of my life. And it is a book. Remember, it is, not, it is not a religion. It is not, uh, it's a spiritual study. It is a course for you to heal your mind. It's not about information. It's about healing your mind. And that's why it has daily practices. So today, today's practice, and this is a mantra that I, I can just give you to start with. My mind only holds with I, what I think with spirit. So just like my eye getting hurt, I could only see through one side yesterday. I could only see through my right side. And isn't the right side our, our giving side? And so I, I can, my mind only holds what I can, what I, what spirit. My mind, my eye can only see with love. Because if I start seeing with fear, then I'm thinking I'm going to go blind. I have to go to the doctor. Everything is going to hurt. You know what I'm saying? But because I saw, I said, no, I am seeing. My mind only holds what with spirit. My mind only holds what comes to me from spirit. Thank you and so that, much for that. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it really helped me stay, again, tuned in when I got scared. You know, when I got scared of what happens if something, you know, what if I have to go to the doctor, I have a client, I've got this interview. And I said, you know what, no, 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 no. My mind only holds what I think with God, with spirit. I can heal myself. I don't need anything else. You see how it just, if you keep coming back to it, you know that there, it's impossible to see two things at once. Hmm. Right? You just have to focus on what it is you that you just, want. It, exactly. You have to decide, this is what I want. I could have focused on my eye hurting or like the student, the cockroach. Hmm. But I got things to do. Right? I've got an interview. I've got people who I'm here to serve. And because I serve, I deserve. So we're coming towards the end. And to Mm -hmm. remember and be respectful of your time, um, I always finish with these uh, three questions. And I always ask my guests, number one, what does feminine energy mean to you? Number two is what does it mean to be a powerful woman? And how do you connect with your inner child? Okay, so divine feminine is embracing embracing this, the feminine within me through, like I've shared, I love dancing. I love I love being a woman. I every my mornings start with a love shower, and I have rose soap, I have rose scrub, I have, I make my shower into just a rose fest because roses are my favorite. So I, I, I imbue myself with that beauty of the rose. And then I have a, a cream that I put on that's called beautiful. And so I put on my beautiful, I embrace my divine feminine. I, it, it's an energy field, it's an aura. And, and then how I, um, the second question was, what does it mean to be a powerful woman to you? What does it mean to be a powerful woman? Mm-hmm. It's to, to serve, to share, and to shine. And so to serve means that I am serving, you know, I'm serving spirit. I'm not serving myself. I'm not even serving you. I'm serving spirit, and spirit is guiding me what to do. And so I'm sharing what spirit is telling me to do. And that is allowing me to shine. So spirit said, Tanya, go be your best beautiful psychic self. Go be the best medium, spiritual teacher you could be. We're going to guide you to it so you can share it. And then just go shine. And I said, okay, so that is how I live. Serve. I serve spirit. And spirit tells me how to share. And then spirit shares with me the blessings and the bounty and the connections like you. All for me shining. That's how you found me because I was shining. And that's being a powerful woman. And how do I connect with the inner child? I'm going to tell you right now. So probably when we hang up the phone, I or we end our our interview, we're going to have a dance party. I love having dance parties every day. I mean, I get my Beyonce, my Drake on, and I have a dance party. I'll go for a walk. I connect to nature because nature, when I was a child, was the thing that I connected to. Or I'll read my favorite book. My favorite books, um, I'm rereading The Alchemist. Again, it's Mm -hmm. the story of a boy. I like to color. You know, um, my husband and I just climbed the pyramids. 
doing things, adventurous things to me is staying connected to my inner child. You know, the inner adult, the inner adult says you can't afford it. The inner adult says, who do you think you are? <laughs> and, but the inner child says, go play, go climb mountains, go climb trees, go jump in the ocean. I, mean, I guess I had one more question. <laughs> sure, tell me. <laughs> because it came up. Um, how did you, like, connect to your, I guess sometimes they call it your medicine, your gift. Like, how mm-hmm. did you know that that was for you? How does someone know, like, what that gift is? Because it's something that you don't have to try to do. My husband is an artist. He didn't have to try to be an artist. He went to art school to refine himself, but he picked up and started drawing when he was two years old. Again, I I shared with you, I spent a lot of time in nature and with books as a child. That was my two escapes. I grew up also in a single-parent household, and so my escape was books and nature. And so knowing that I could I felt this energy connection to the water and to the animals and everything. So I would talk to the animals and and I would feel that they were talking to me. And then I would just have these senses about people and things. And so when I asked after all the yoga I did and all those different other certifications, um, I hadn't planned on being a psychic. I didn't know that that was what I was actually supposed to do. I thought I was going to go be the, the great you know, brown yoga teacher of the, you know, of the, the 2000s. And, but no, I didn't really know my gifts until I allowed them to truly come out. I had no idea that this would be who I was meant to be <laughs> when I start. I had no idea, but I've let her come out. And even now, you know, the things that I'm creating, I had no idea, but I knew I wanted it, you know. I knew I wanted to have a deck of tarot cards. I knew I wanted, and so I have an art, a husband who's an artist. I knew I wanted to create, you know, a line of jewelry and, and, and oils and, and have classes all over the world and things like that. I didn't know how to do it, but when I allowed my gift to come through, it showed me that I don't have to know how to do it. It's coming. And the last thing is how can we help you? How can we help serve you? How can you help serve me? Ah, follow Tanya R. Gonzalez and Brown Girl Through Bruja on Instagram. You know, sign up for a course. Support me with love and light. And, and heal, heal your daughters, you know. Heal your sisters. Heal yourself, sister. Let us know that we are all connected to each other. We are all sisters. And that's how you can serve me is by serving you first. So I love you. We love you mm-hmm. back. And where we can find you? Tanya Gonzalez. And you can find me on Instagram as Brown Girl to Bruja, as well as Tanya R. Gonzalez. You can find me on Facebook and on YouTube. 